Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode and conversation to help you up your game in talent development. That is our mission. That is what we're all about, bringing you great content every week to help you improve and grow your career and give you more insights in the world of talent development, learning and development, and beyond. And today, we're talking about a couple things. One of them is starting a new L&D department from scratch. Have you had that opportunity, or have you thought about it, what it would be like to join a tech startup or a company that is kind of revamping things and starting a new HR or L&D department. And we're also talking about vulnerability as a competitive advantage, which is something you may not hear about, especially in the business world. My guest today is Lotus Buckner, who is the vice president and head of people and culture at Chowbus, a tech startup and food delivery platform, as well as the founder and CEO of LB Talent Solutions, where she offers customized career coaching services and speaking engagements. With endless curiosity and a desire for continuous learning, Lotus has led a variety of people and culture teams for large organizations in healthcare and higher education to small startups in the tech space. And as a self-proclaimed foodie, when she's not fulfilling her professional passions, Lotus loves trying new foods and then trying to make them from scratch herself. We did not get into that passion for making food from scratch, but we did get into the things that she has done in her career, how she got into L&D, this challenge of starting a new L&D department from scratch and the important steps to take in laying the foundation. We talked about you know, getting feedback and really tapping into what employees need as well as what the C-suite wants, as well as this idea of vulnerability as a competitive advantage and how that can help you in influencing change inside your organization. 
Before we get started, I want to remind you that I run a membership community called the Talent Development Think Tank. We have been growing. We have introduced a new tier of membership recently. In addition to our main community, we now have a foundation level for early career L&D professionals. So if that's you or you have people on your team who are a little earlier in their career, more junior in learning and development, go ahead and send them over. Let them know about the Talent Development Think Tank community or sign them up yourselves. We've had many of our members sign their teams up to join our new foundation level. And you can find all the information on our website, tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank, tdtt.us. We are all about connecting and helping people really up their game in talent development. So come check us out. And our podcast is also sponsored by Advantage Performance Group, which is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. You can find out more by going to advantageperformance.com. All right, now, without further ado, here is my interview with Lotus Buckner about building a new L&D department and using vulnerability as a competitive advantage. Enjoy. All right, I am joined now by Lotus Buckner, who is the VP and Head of People and Culture at Chow Bus. Lotus, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here, Andy. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. We connected recently through LinkedIn, which is always the best place to go to connect with awesome people. I've made so many friends on there. And as soon as I found you and we connected, I was like, why aren't we friends? We need, we need to be friends. So here we are. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm glad that we're connected and I'm so excited to be here today. For sure. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your journey in talent development and HR what it's like starting an HR department from scratch in a, in a tech startup. I know a lot of our listeners have experience in that or always wonder about that kind of challenge. And we're also going to talk about this idea of vulnerability as a competitive advantage, which is something that gets me excited. But I want to start with you. How, how did you get into learning and development and the work you're doing now? Yeah, well, my story goes back to my undergrad where... I spent way too long there. Um, My parents weren't happy, but I switched my major six times. I could never decide what I wanted to do. Finally ended up taking an HR class. And that's kind of where everything began because I, for the first time, was like so enthralled in the class and the coursework. Because normally I hated going to class and going to school. Like I love learning, but I don't like being forced to learn. (laughs) And so when I found... um, this class, like I just really started researching and networking and digging into a career in talent development and in HR and ended up doing an internship at a healthcare company. And then the rest is kind of history because I stayed there for 11 years, grew into six different roles. But my internship focused a lot on talent development. I did a lot of instructional design. I did a lot of facilitation during that time. But when I went back for a full-time role, they didn't have anything in talent development specifically. So I went into HR, but eventually I became an instructional designer and then ended up leading all of talent development at that company. And so I just am so passionate about supporting people in their learning and in their growth. And that is what gets me really excited. It's also why like on the side, I do career coaching because I just love helping people grow. Uh, I love it. Yeah. And one of the great things about talent development and learning and development is I find most people I come across are pretty passionate and excited about the industry, especially if they've seen the opportunity, the ability to make an impact, right? With the work they're doing. 
And I was going to ask you, you know, when you look at learning and development broadly, you know, what is, what is most exciting to you and, and what do you think is the biggest challenge right now? You know, maybe it's uh, my answer is one of the same, but one of the things that I'm really excited about is AI. Mm-hmm. I have not had the opportunity to use it directly at a company, but it was one of those things where it was introduced and everyone got really excited about it, but then no one had the budget to actually implement it at their companies. And now it's making this comeback um, because it's being used kind of beyond talent development. Right. And it's, it has a big comeback and I just really am excited to see where that goes in the learning and development space. And if that becomes more affordable and more part of strategic plans for talent development departments within companies. Um, so excited to see where that goes. And that's kind of related to where I see a lot of challenges, which is companies don't always invest in talent development. And I think that makes it really difficult sometimes because you have to be really, really creative then, which is great. It makes talent development professionals certainly have a great skill set um, in being nimble and flexible, but I would love to see more investment in it, especially during tough times, because I think when times get tough or budgets get cut, that's kind of one of the first places that senior leaders look and they don't really realize that actually investing in that during tough times can be a competitive advantage itself because talent development can really help you through those tough times. I'm seeing it even now with all the challenges of COVID. I think a lot of companies that have invested in that space have kind of come out on top. I love seeing that. And I've always been a, a champion and advocate of that, right? You've got to invest in your people and developing your people, even during hard times, right? So that you are yep. poised and prepared to come out on top and, and keep moving when, when times get better, because they eventually will, versus just cutting everything. You've come into a unique position where you're basically starting an HR department from scratch with the, the company you're with now. And that has a lot of opportunities and also challenges that come with it, right? And, and one of them might be a company that is not used to develop, you know, investing money in developing their people when in the past it's just been about marketing and just getting the business going and surviving, right? Yeah. But now thinking about the future, it's a whole new area of development. So I'm curious, how, how have you approached that challenge? And maybe you could share some insights with, with our listeners. Yeah, I'll share some context first, because it's something that I learned. I came from really big, stable industries before this, and everywhere you go, no one ever feels like they have enough resources, right, or Mm. the budget to do what they want. But when you come from really big companies, and then you go to a startup, you realize like there actually is a difference. Sometimes you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, why was I being so greedy? (laughs) Because you had so much before. But, you know, startups are so varied because it depends on what stage they're at, how much funding they have. And so they truly can be restricted um, based on funding from that perspective. Not so much that senior leaders don't buy into it, but in the startup world, you might actually be constrained um, financially to invest too much into the talent development. And so I think that's where some of the creativity has really helped. But for me, when you go into a space where there isn't anything, the nice thing is like every little thing you do, the employees are so appreciative is what I've learned, um, right? Because they're so hungry for something and they're, they're hungry. And so is the leadership and so is the company, right? They're very hungry for to be able to progress, right? It takes steps. It takes 
a, a lot of steps and it takes time to get to where we want to be when you're a growing startup. It doesn't just happen overnight. And so I have treated kind of the growth of the HR and the talent development um, function just like a startup would, right? Like we're starting from scratch and you're building the foundation and the roadblocks first. Um, because without a strong foundation, it's really hard to do all the fancy stuff and the things that, you know, you see big companies doing. And it's hard sometimes because you want to do all of that yeah. right away. But when you're building from the ground up, you really have to build that front, strong foundation. And I, I do see people sometimes just jump to the bells and whistles and they fail because there wasn't a strong um, backbone to what they were doing, mm. both on the HR side, as well as the talent development side, I would say, if you don't have a strong foundation, it's going to be hard to add those building blocks in a very thoughtful and intentional manner. So I think doing it in an intentional way is the most successful. Yeah. It, almost going back to what you talked about before, what you're excited about with talent development is AI, right? But you can't get pulled into, oh, look at this cool technology. Let's bring in AI when you don't have the foundation of what you want your HR yeah. and talent development department to look like, what you want the plan to be, how are you going to be developing people, where do you want to invest? And similarly with careers, you mentioned you do some career coaching. You know, I have a book in the space and do a lot of speaking and work in the career space. And I just got it. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, people jump so quickly to like, oh, I got this job opportunity or my friend works at this thing. Maybe I should check this out without really stopping to lay the foundation, do the inner work and think about who they are and where they really want to go in their career before just, you know, everybody's in reaction mode. 100%. Yeah. That's been kind of at the forefront with this pandemic. I feel mm -hmm. like that's made that so much harder. Yeah. In fact, I mean, related to that, just this week, a good friend of mine texted me and said, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about looking for a new job. Do you know any good executive coaches that can help me after I get started? I want to, you know, work on being successful in that new job. And I was like, hang on a second. Why don't you hire a career coach right now and really get like honed in on exactly where you want to go, what you want to yeah. do with your career before you get to that next step. And he was like, Oh, I hadn't thought about that. So made a couple introductions but a lot of times people are not thinking like, oh, I'll just go see right. what's out there and see what comes my way. And that happens in L&D HR space as well. 100%. I totally agree. Um, it's hard though, right? That, you know, one of the things about talent development is that the frameworks, the philosophies, the technology is moving at a pace that is so fast that it can sometimes feel overwhelming and hard to keep up with, even if you are at a more innovative company that has a lot of resources to invest, like it still is hard to keep up with. And so there's a lot of bells and whistles that can easily distract us. Yeah, no kidding. Okay. So let's talk about like how you laid that foundation when you come into a new company like this. And I imagine things are moving pretty quickly. You've got a lot of people doing different things. What are the steps that you take to kind of make sure you have a good understanding of what's going on and get aligned with you know the C-suite or executives, founders, an overall company strategy, and of course your talent development strategy. Yeah, I think the the very first step before you do anything, like you can't. A lot of people want to jump in and show their value right away, so they go in and they start implementing things. And I really think that taking a step back and doing an assessment first mm. is so critical because just like taking the bells and whistles of talent development and then realizing there's no strategy behind it can really lead to failure. And so I think assessing the company and the culture before 
you jump in and start implementing is really important. So doing that through informational interviews with a C-suite, with key stakeholders in the company, with the leadership, and then also with the employees. So doing an employee engagement survey, we just closed ours today, um, which is really exciting and I can't wait to see the results. <laughs> looking at your exit interview data, if the company already does stay interviews, look at that data. If they don't, something to put in your toolbox to potentially um, implement later. But any data that you can pull, looking at the HRS system and learning management system to see what data you can pull there that can be really helpful to you um, in assessing the company and where they're at with their talent development efforts, where they're at with their HR efforts. All of that is so critical. Onboarding data, if they do any surveys from there, you know, one of the things I love to do is look at if companies do 90-day surveys after they do um not only after an employee starts, but after they do talent development programs or courses to take a look at how that has made an impact uh, within 90 days. I think all of that is really important. And then building your strategy, like even that comes before implementing. I think implementing is actually way further down the line Mm. than people think, especially when you're building from the ground up. And so then it's about prioritizing what is important to the employees and what is important to the C-suite. And sometimes those two things are not always aligned, right? So being able to prioritize where you see commonalities and looking at your quick wins versus what you know is going to take a longer term strategy um, and building both of those out though, being really thoughtful about how you're prioritizing and then getting to implementation. But again, implementation needs to be really thoughtful, right? Like depending on the company you're at and what their goals are, it might be that they're ready for something that's really big and their big focus is just improving talent development, for example, right? Maybe they have great bones and they just haven't really built out a talent development strategy and you can really focus your efforts there and kind of go big. Um, But if you're building everything from the ground up, it might be really starting with the basics and making sure you actually even have the basics, right? Is there even an LMS in the company? Like how are you tracking uh, talent development efforts? Um, from an HR perspective, right? Are there any policies in place? Do you, are you even compliant? Like, did we even get to, to that point? And then starting to build all of those things out. And then once you have that foundation, I think that's where you get to do the really exciting stuff, right? So taking the, the data that you learned from your employees and continuing to survey them and really understand how things are changing for them. Because by the time you get to the implementation phase, some of their feedback might have changed, right? Things might have gotten better. They might have new leadership. So much could have changed by then. So making sure that getting feedback is an ongoing process and not just a one-time thing is really important. And that'll really help you determine your priorities and then be nimble. Like, I just think that that's such an important skill set these days is you can put this beautiful strategy in place, have this perfect plan, But the world changes and companies change and leaders change and employees change, laws change, like so much can change. And just being able to be nimble and knowing how to adjust your plan appropriately instead of feeling like you have to throw it out the window and start from scratch, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, not being too married to your plan, 
Yeah. Right? Because you know, things can change just like we talk about with having a vision for your career, having a vision for your plan for HR, talent development, and knowing that, like you said, strategies can change, leaders can change, laws can change, all kinds of stuff. The global economy can change and you might need to take changes. So you said a lot of great stuff in there. A couple of things that I want to hone in on or reiterate. One was starting with this idea of being curious and asking questions and assessing before you start taking action. And what you said was people want to show their value right away, right? And I've seen this over and over again. I saw it in my own career and I've seen it with other people. When you start somewhere and you know you feel like you're getting paid pretty good money and you're excited that people are welcoming you in and you want to prove yourself, right? So you, you want to come out of the gate, like, let me create something to show them when really the best thing to do usually is just be curious, be quiet, right? Ask a lot of questions, learn as much as you can about what's going on and what the leaders care about before you start doing things, before you start taking action. You mentioned also in their exit interviews and stay interviews, which I know more and more people are doing, but a lot of people may still not be that familiar with that. So can you tell me what, what is a stay interview or how yeah, do you do it? So, so stay interviews are very similar to exit interviews, except one of the things we've seen, we've been doing exit interviews in our companies for a very long time, right? And one of the, they're still valuable. I'm not suggesting that we throw those out the window by any means. Um, but one of the gaps with that um, that we don't get is you're getting feedback from people who are basically out the door. Not that that isn't valuable because that can tell you a lot about what's going on with the company, but state interviews are essentially doing that same evaluation, but with your current employees before they put in the resignation, right? What can we do to make you stay at this company? What is your experience right now? And what would you want changed about that? And how can we support the experience that would make that would allow us to retain you. And so I think that's the difference. And that's why I, that's a value that I find in state interviews is that you really have a chance then to be able to retain more people before they exit. You know, there's a lot of conversation about right now because of, you know, whatever you want to call it, the great resignation, great resignation <laughs> yeah, turnover, tsunami, whatever. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. We are seeing these exits all over the place, even with great companies, right? And so what we're seeing then is that a lot of companies then when someone puts in their resignation, they're counter offering and not having a lot of success with that. Even if they win that counter offer the first time, they find themselves in that same exact position a few months later. Mm. And that's because, you know, that's not the number one driver of people. Money's that's not, not usually the number one reason that someone's. Yeah. There. And so we're, we're seeing that a lot. And so I think that's the value of state interviews is figuring that out before someone leaves, like what really matters to them, yeah. you know, is it really just money that's going to make you stay here? Or is there something else that is um, making you want to leave? Right. Yeah. Cause I don't know if you've read, have you read drive by Daniel Pink? Uh, no, I haven't. It's a really good book where he talks about um, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and how when you get, everyone needs extrinsic, right? Like we, we, we work for money, sure, but only to a certain limit. Like all of us, it's not the same for anyone, but all of us need to make in our minds a certain amount of money for a certain role, a certain commitment. And that's just kind of determined by us, not the company, right? It's like, what do we feel we're, uh, is our value for this company, for this role. But once you meet that, once you hit that number, 
the, the things that are going to make you stay is not more money. So companies that keep throwing more money at people, a lot of times they're kind of wasting their money. Yeah. It's really trying to figure out what in, motivates people intrinsically and how do we as companies align that with our strategy and our culture and what we're trying to build that experience. Yeah, because if I don't like my manager, I have a bad boss, right? Or I don't find the culture to be invigorating, or I don't feel like the company is investing in me or appreciates me, or my work is not challenging enough. You can give me a 20% raise and maybe I'll put my head down for another three months, but I'm still going to have that issue and it's still going to be bothering me. And at some point I'm going to go, this is not worth it, right? Like I'd rather take a pay cut and be happier somewhere else. And I think most people would. Exactly. Or they take that raise, right? And it's leverage for their next role. That's right. Yeah. You're you're helping them out. You also talked in there about, you know, getting regular feedback, which I think is is aligned with that. And, you know, understanding, you talk about prioritizing. And I, I'm going to assume this goes back to those initial interviews and understanding what's important to the C-suite as well as what's important to employees. And then you can use that information essentially to prioritize, okay, where are you going to spend your time? You have a limited amount of time and resources, right? Where are you going to spend that? What do you do if you find, as you mentioned that sometimes the C-suite and employees, what they want might be at odds. What do you do in that situation? Because obviously you want to create a great culture and give people what they want, but it is essentially the C-suite that's going to be paying for, you know, funding, whatever it is you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really great question. So the reason I say find the commonalities first and start there is because I am a big believer that relationships matter and that building trust matters before you can get the buy-in that you're looking for to do the things that you believe are right. And so one way to start that is when, if you prioritize what they do have in common, you get to start adding some of that value, right? And the other things that you believe are really, really important, if there's tension there, you have that time as you're building out what they have in common to really start building that business case for what that long-term strategy should be. And part of that is when you're, when you're new, you have to build that relationship. And so it's really about starting to, to learn people, right. Starting to really not just get to know them as professionals in their roles, but what makes them tick, what motivates them. I'm even talking all the way up to your CEO, right? Like, what motivates them? Because, and then how do you take what you learn about people and tie that to, to the strategy that you're trying to build out? Because if you can tie it to something that resonates with them, you're more likely to get the buy-in, right? Do they care about money? Yeah. Do they care about revenue? Like what, whatever it is, see how you can tie that together with the strategy that you're trying to build. And so I think that's how you start building that, uh, Buy-in is by starting with building those relationships and building that trust and making sure that they see you as a credible resource, right? And if you get those wins by implementing some of the things that are in common with the C-suite and the employees, that's building trust. If they can see that you're credible in doing that and you know how to prioritize and you're not just there with your own agenda, you're really trying to make it work for um, everybody involved, I think that's really how you build that credibility. COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. 
Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. It's known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Yeah, that's so important. The, the credibility, the trust, the relationships. I'm glad you brought that up. We've been having those discussions in the Talent Development Think Tank the community, community I run. And, and one of our members, Jess Omley, has been on this podcast a couple months back. We talked about taking a consultative approach to L&D, and she's done a session for us inside the Think Tank about that. And then we also recently had an in-person retreat where I asked her to lead a session on that. And we talked a lot about relationships and building trust with executives as well as, you know, their respect as someone who, you know, is knowledgeable about what you're doing, but the relationship and the trust is just as, if not more important than having the knowledge, the experience, the expertise, whatever it is. And we've talked about that in other contexts. We had a speaker in the community recently, Kelly Dujois, who was talking about influence and how it comes down to trust, right? You've got to have that trust in order to be able to build influence and have influence inside your organization. So I think that's really, really critical. Something that a lot of people are overlooking is building those relationships so that they have the influence to be able to make things happen later. It's a process, right? So I think that you build that trust and you build those relationships. And what that allows you to do is gain some credibility. And when you have credibility, uh, this ties to our, our other topic, right? Once you have credibility, you can start to be a little bit more vulnerable. And mm -hmm. when you're vulnerable, you can tell a story and stories sell, right? Like, Selling isn't just about getting customers for your company. No. Every job requires you to sell something, right? An idea, a strategy, a plan, and stories are so powerful. And so I think that building that trust really leads to vulnerability, which leads to your ability to, to sell what you're trying to do. Well, let's talk about that. One of the things we, we wanted to talk about in this conversation was vulnerability as a competitive advantage. Tell me more about what that means for you and, and how we can use that practically in our organizations. Yeah. So I think it all goes back to um, trust. It's funny. I think it was um, Renee Brown who had a conversation with Adam Grant on a podcast about what comes first, right? Vulnerability or trust. And I don't know the answer to that, but I think that they go hand in hand and you need to have both because one of the things I'm seeing even with COVID, right, is this whole debate about remote work versus on-site work and what do you do about that? And just as an example, during these last two years, something that I noticed a lot of people in formal leadership roles have told me is that they're like, I actually really prefer working remotely now that I've done it. I've never had, I've never had to do it. I've never had the opportunity to do it in my entire career. And I was not a fan of it when the pandemic hit and we all had to do it. But like, now that I've done it, like, I really prefer it, but I'll never, ever say that to my employees. And I'll never, ever say that to my bosses, right? Because they're afraid to be vulnerable about that. Um, with their teams because they they think that, that that threatens their position or their power or their credibility. Yeah. But one of the stories that I like to tell is that it actually doesn't. Like with that exact example, I've now had to um, have this remote conversation at several companies now. And I remember one conversation where we were ready to bring everyone back 
and this was a while ago. It's not like now where everybody's vaccinated and boosted. Um, but a while ago, we were ready to bring everyone back 100% on site. And I was asked to kind of lead those efforts. I submitted a hybrid plan and I was asked why I did that. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I was told to submit a plan to bring everyone back fully on site. And, you know, I had a decision I make at that point, right? Like, do I do I start sharing these stories that people have told me confidentially, right? Or how, how do I really get that buy-in? And so I ultimately decided, like I thought through that and I was like, okay, some of these leaders that I'm talking to know me. I have a really strong relationship with them. I have some credibility there, right? I shared my own story. And I, I basically, in the end, is I asked, the question back to them was basically, do you think that I'm gaming the system? Because that was those, the response I get is like, maybe all these people are just gaming the system because they've been able to work remotely and take care of their children, do all of these things. And yeah, are they, they really can do working? whatever they want throughout the day. Yeah, not really exactly. And so there was this like perception of that. And I just put myself out there and I was like, I have to ask, like, is that how you feel about me? And they're like, of course not. Of course not. You get all your stuff done. You have great results. And so then I shared my story about like why it's been so beneficial to be able to do some remote work and how that's actually increased productivity and how that has really benefited other parts of my life and how some of those results that they saw that they're so happy about, right, is because of the ability to work remotely. And just that one story, like, it was scary because I was like, great. Like, are they going to start thinking of me differently now? Mm. Right. So, but it was a little bit of risk. It was a little bit of vulnerability. And that one story started the whole transition of their mindset of, okay, maybe not everybody's trying to gain the system. Right. And then we talked through all the, like we started pulling data and looking at all the great work that's been done during the time that people were remote. Right. So we ended up going with a hybrid model. And so we were able to change the entire direction of a whole company just with a little bit of vulnerability. And so I think that's what's missing sometimes in leadership is we have this expectation of ourselves that we have to have this facade, mm-hmm. right? That we have to be very company. And it all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And have it all figured out and that we're not allowed to make mistakes or we're not allowed to enjoy working from home. We're not allowed to, to care about work-life balance or integration, and when I say a competitive advantage, I think that example kind of shows it. Like sometimes when we show a little bit of vulnerability, it can really make the difference for an entire company, whether that's a decision that the company makes or even being able to relate to your employees a little bit, right? Because that's the other side of the coin is people aren't willing to share that kind of information with their own team members. But if you do that, people might be more willing to stay if they feel like, okay, my this we're all going through a really tough time right now, but my boss actually gets it. Like they're experiencing similar things and we're going to get through it together, right? Versus oh my gosh, my boss is like a robot and how did they get through COVID when no one else seems to be able to without any stress or challenges? So I think that's really what I mean by vulnerability can really be a competitive advantage because it can change the direction of your culture, your team, and sometimes even business decisions. Right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there seems to be this pressure to like think, make people think that you've got it all figured out. We should show no mistakes, right? No weaknesses, 
it's kind of this old school mentality that that's ingrained in us, but we're slowly seeing that that's not the case. We want people to be themselves and, and truly connect and learn about people. And I've seen through all the work I've done in leadership development, running, you know, workshop, multipliers, workshops, and other leadership development programs over the years. And one of the top challenges I see for managers, leaders in companies is they put pressure on themselves. They think they have to have all the answers, right? That they have to have it all figured out when it's okay to defer to your team. It's okay to say, I don't know, like, let's, let's figure this out together. And I think a lot of times the team appreciates the vulnerability and authenticity to know like, okay, I'm working for a real person and working for a human. Like I know we'll figure this out or they're actually relying on me. Now I have more importance on the team to figure this out instead of just relying on my manager all the time. Yeah. I actually made a mistake in that space and had a big lesson learned once because I think the other thing that's happening as we shift and it's all good, like people, lessons learned is a good thing. But as we see this shift, what I'm also seeing is sometimes as leaders, we will start to change our mindset about the team members, right? We'll say, okay, you can work from home. You can have flexibility. And we give and we give and we give all these things. And then we wonder why it's not making a difference. Well, that happened to me. Like I remember an employee who was going through a lot. I knew about it. And I just went to her one day and I was like, you're working your butt off. Let us take the stuff off your plate. And why don't you go take some time off so that you can refresh? And she said to me, she's like, Lotus, you've never once denied anybody's time off. You've never done anything but encourage us to take time for ourselves and do all of these great things. And she's like, and we appreciate that. But the reason that you don't always see us doing it is because you don't. Like Mm. you work on the weekends and you send emails at night. And like, that was a moment for me Mm -hmm. where it's like, it doesn't matter what you say to people. It doesn't matter what you will tell them that they're allowed to do when you're in a leadership role. And especially if you are making that shift and people respect you, right? They're going to follow your lead, sometimes unconsciously. Sometimes it's not even like, they're not even thinking about it. They just do as you do. And that was a lesson learned for me. And that's when I had to really sit down and like, think about how I was going to make some concerted efforts to change the way that I work. Yeah, that's powerful. And I think a lot of people have probably learned that lesson. And I've had many discussions with people over the years about that very thing that, you know, as a leader, people are watching what you do more than they're listening, what you say, right. Just as like being as a parent as well. And you can tell people like, oh, no, I don't want you to work that much. But if you're sending emails to the team every night and you're working every night, right? And on the weekends, exactly. they're watching what you do and go, okay, yeah, well, she, yeah, she says that we don't need to work, but I see her working. And like, what is she going to think if I'm not working? Now I need to respond to these emails, which is why you got to be careful with that stuff and yeah. use that send later feature or the boomerang feature in Gmail, yeah. right? So that you're not always sending, you know, maybe that's the best time for you to work. But you want to make sure that other people don't feel pressure to be responding to everything at that time. Exactly. Yep. Yep. This has been, this has been great. Lotus, as we wrap that up, you know, for people thinking about this idea of vulnerability as a competitive advantage, working in talent development, learning and development, thinking, okay, well, how can I leverage this more? How can I inspire my leaders maybe to use a little bit more vulnerability and authenticity? What other advice would you give in that area to help people get started? Yeah, I think it's really about having those conversations with your leaders, doing some training around it. But then the more important piece is 
holding them accountable for that, right? Making sure that this is a continuous conversation and not like a one-time training or a one-time thing. And to do that, you can do that through continuous survey data, feedback from staff, exit interviews, stay interviews, performance data, leadership coaching, right? Because sometimes I think we're talking about something like vulnerability. Training is one piece of that. But if you don't have that ongoing development for your leaders, that can really... Um, start to fall off their mind and it won't be at the forefront of what they're doing. But if you offer continuous coaching as an example or continuous feedback to really hold them accountable, I think that you can really see some difference and some impact. Uh, well, that's some great advice there. And this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you, Lotus, for coming and sharing. I have a few more questions for you. I'm going to ask you in our bonus round. So if you're listening, stay tuned for that. But Lotus, thank you again for joining us. Really appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thanks for having me, Andy. All right, that will do it for my interview with Lotus Buckner from Chow Bus, all about starting that new L&D department from scratch. Did you get value from that episode? If you did, make sure you write down some notes. Think about the things that you might want to go implement. I love that she talked about really starting with curiosity and laying the foundation when coming into a new role or starting that new L&D department, really asking a lot of questions, doing those informational interviews. And what that does, in addition to giving you information that you may need, it also helps you build those relationships and build trust because when you go and talk with your executives, the C-suite, your sponsors, whoever it may be, they know, they can see that you're actually interested in what they care about and you start by learning about them before you start trying to implement things that you care about. And it kind of goes back to that old adage, if you want people to be interested in you, you need to start by being interested in them and always lead with curiosity and empathy. I think that will always serve you well. So make sure you take that with you wherever you go. And you'll hear when we come back in a couple of days with our bonus Q&A, where I talk with Lotus about her career and her best piece of a career advice. We also talk about the importance of curiosity there as well. So it's kind of a theme throughout this interview that you can take with you. Hey, I wanted to remind you, if you're not already a member yet of the Talent Development Think Tank community, that it is out there, it is available, we are expanding, we've got an opportunity for you to come join us, and it is a great opportunity because we added a new level to our membership recently, we've got some great guest speakers lined up in 2022 and beyond, some great topics we're going to be discussing, and more great things coming. In fact, we just brought back our monthly speed networking session that's going to happen once a month on the second Tuesday, where everybody in both tiers of the community, the main community and the foundation level will be matched up for some speed networking session. That's where you, we get on a platform called Meetaway and you talk with somebody for seven minutes or so and then move on to the next. And it gives you an opportunity to get to know a bunch of different people in talent development. And then of course you can follow up with people that you want to talk with more. I have found this to be valuable to really get to know a lot of different people from around the community. And then of course that sets us off on a journey to get to know each other even better in future conversations. We also bring in a lot of guest speakers like Liz Weissman, Kelly Dujois, Brent Snow, who have been on the podcast recently, Humera Shahed from Intuit, have all been guest speakers recently in the community. In fact, Lotus Buckner may be joining us as a speaker soon to talk about this topic of vulnerability as an advantage. And we have other great speakers lined up. We also do a lot of open forum calls where we pick a topic, and I've got a number of them already scheduled out for 2022. And we have an open discussion. Sometimes we use breakout rooms. Sometimes it's more of a broader group to hear what people's insights and experience are. And the reason we do this is because 
If you just wanted to learn from so-called experts and gurus, I know you could go sign up for webinars every single day of the week and probably learn quite a bit. But rarely do people have an opportunity to truly connect with each other and share what they're working on and ask questions of other people. So we always have interactive discussions inside the Think Tank community. That is what it's all about. That's the foundation of why I started the conference two years ago with my friend Bennett Phillips and why we started this community and how we run the community today. So make sure you come check us out if you haven't joined yet. The website is tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank, tdtt.us. And I also wanted to mention that our podcast has and is still sponsored by the Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Uh, I was formerly a partner at Advantage Performance Group. I've gotten to know a lot of their great solution partners who provide great learning solutions over there, like Kelly Dujois and Brent Snow and Liz Weissman, who have all been on the podcast recently. They all have great solutions that are in the Advantage ecosystem. There's a ton of great stuff on leadership, on career development, on influence, on business acumen, on strategy. Uh, Go check it out. All the information and tons of free resources are available at advantageperformance.com. All right. Thank you again for listening. I really appreciate you tuning in on a regular basis. And I hope that you will join us again soon. In fact, stay tuned for our next episode, which will be a bonus Q&A session with Lotus Buckner. Stay tuned. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.